Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How you doing today? This is Joe with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics and we're here Given the three camps of apologetics, we are talking about the evidentialists. Last week, we spoke about archaeology. This week, we will be talking about prophecy, and we will look at it from the view that as we make a cumulative argument for the evidentialist, the Christian, and why they believe in what they believe in, we are talking about world views here as we look at science, philosophy, history, archaeology, and the world that we live in. And does it make sense when you stand on that world view? Remember, I want to uh, tell you about our God, the sovereign God. In Isaiah 46, 9, he goes on to say this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God And there is no other. Think about what he's saying there. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasures. This is the kind of God we served who made a declaration that he is God and what he says from the beginning to the end will come true, will come to pass. We call this prophecy. Prophecy is a cumulative argument of of a God, of the Christian God who knows all things, telling about events, and this is the God's sovereignty. This is God's sovereignty in display. Because there are so many prophecies of cities, nations, kings, generals, wars, battles, the only way to deny it is to deny history that was written down on tablets, manuscripts, scrolls, and books. You see, we have an internal, through our Bible, and a manifold of exterior, exterior accounts of history. Real prophecy separates the practices of witchcraft, soothsayers, one who interprets omens, a sorcerer, one who conjures spells, mediums, spiritists, even one who calls up from the dead. Prophecy in the Christian Bible makes people like Nostradamus, Vishnu, or avatars of Hinduism look silly compared to all the prophecies in the Bible. And guess what, guys? They must be 100% accurate. Just think about that. 100% accurate 
for every prophecy in the Bible, and we got hundreds and hundreds of prophecy. The first prophecy I want to talk about, this takes us back to the 5th and 6th century B.C. Ezekiel wrote, who was a prophet of God, and God told Ezekiel to write this, Son of man, because Tyra, the nation, has said against Jerusalem, Aha, she is broken, who was the gateway of the people. Now she is turned over to me, Tyra says, and I shall be filled. She is laid to waste. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyra, and will cause many nations to come up against you, as the sea causes its waves to come up. And it goes on to talk about this prophecy and uh, what some uh, key points that are going to happen. What we just read is some of these few points. One, in verse 3, he will cause many nations to come up against you, O Tyra, as a sea causes its waves to come up. Verse 4, and they shall destroy the walls of Tyrus and break down her towers, and I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. And so we see that in verse uh, 7, as we go on forward talking about this, listen to this. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyra from the north Nebuchadnezzar. So now here God declares prophecy before it even takes place. He actually personalizes it. And he talks about Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And he says, I will bring against Tyra from the north, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, kings of kings with horses, with chariots, with horsemen, and an army with many people. And he, think about that pronoun. It's talking about Nebuchadnezzar here. He will slay with the sword your daughter villages in the fields. He will heap up a siege mound against you, build a wall against you, and raise a defense against you. And he will direct his battering rams against your walls. And with his axes, he will break down your towers. And what do we get from this? We find that, first of all, it's a he, and it's a king's name, Nebuchadnezzar. And then he shall slay them with a sword and their daughters. That means the cities that are around about there, the little countries that are around about there, that he will slay their daughters and he shall make a fort against them and cause a mount against thee and lift up the buckler against thee. As we look at this prophecy, we find out that in 586 to 573 B.C., that this was taking place, and we know it took place. It took Nebuchadnezzar, as he came from the north, 13 years to battle a combat against Tyra. The, t- the siege of Tyra and her daughters, which was Babylon, Sidon, or Sidon, and the Phoenicians in that area. And he actually took down the old city of Tyra, was sieged and destroyed. And then after 13 years, the the tyrants negotiated a surrender with the Babylonians. Now, we do have some cuneiform tablets that were published in 1926 by a German archaeologist. His name was Eckerd Unger, and he refers to provision of food for the king and his soldiers for their march against Tyra. 
Other cuneiform tablets show that at some point Tyre was in the hands of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Finally, a cuneiform tablet at the British Museum shows that Nebuchadnezzar did indeed successfully engage in the Egyptian forces as he went against Tyre. Now, we also have some documentation, not only our internal evidence, which is the historical account of the Bible, but we have some exterior account that was, first, that was written by Josephus, a first century Jewish historian. Uh, we all probably heard of Josephus. And he writes this about that incident. And as a matter of fact, he writes two times about this incident. And then one time he quotes another historian. So Josephus writes this, I will now add the records of the Phoenicians, for it will not be superfluous to give the readers demonstrations more than enough on this occasion. And then we have this enumeration of the times of their several kings. Nebuchadnezzar beseeched Tyra for 13 years in the days of Ithabel, Ithabel, their king after him reigned Baal ten years, and this was against Aspion one twenty one. And then Joseph records on an account in writing of his story of, of history that it says this, and it didn't survive, and we weren't able to find it. But Joseph recalls this gentleman, this historian named Philostratus, who lived two fifty to one seventy B.C who in his account said that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, beseeched Tyra 13 years while at the same time Ethabel reigned in Tyra. As we look further about this prophecy, we know in 322 B.C. Tyra was given over to Alexander the Great. So the first part of the prophecy comes true as Nebuchadnezzar takes over and sees the old Tyra. But then Tyra had built this moat, had built this area outside the waters about a quarter of a mile down. And it was Alexander the Great, as he took over Babylon and destroyed it, he went into fight against the siege of Tyra. And we can see 250 years that that Alexander the Great pretty much accomplishes this job. Now, as we begin to see... Uh, Alexander's army continued south through Phoenician cities of Babylon and Sidon, and they all just capitulated. They they uh, capitulated without a fight to Alexander the Great. And then we find out that as he looks at the moat that they had built after he tore down the cities once again, that there was a siege that he needed to take. And so he went out and built this boat about a quarter of a mile long. They threw all the refuge from the old Tyra, rocks and all this, uh, all these concrete rocks and dirt. And they were able to get across pretty much all the way. And as they got there, it says that Tyra fought against them and brought ships after them. Now, at this point, Alexander the Great didn't have ships to go out there and conquer the area. So he got some of his pals with him, people who were for him, and they gathered up a bunch of ships and they went in there and they began to use battering rams and begin to tear down the city until it finally accomplished what was written by uh, Ezekiel 
And it just shows how much we can count on the Word of God as we talk about prophecy. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics. Stay with us into the second half. Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85 percent of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Join Creation Fellowship Santee's Apologetics Speaker Series Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. via Zoom. 1 Peter verse 3 chapter 15 says, To always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Creation Fellowship Santee's brand name apologetic speakers will do just that. Equip you with the knowledge and tactics to explain your Christian faith. Get equipped Thursday nights at 6.30. Learn more on Facebook and YouTube at Creation Fellowship Santee or email Santee at gmail.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona on K-Praise. How you doing? Here we are in the second part of Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. We're into the uh, evidential argument of how prophecy accumulated with all the other evidential stuff we have that we can confirm as Christians that we're standing on a solid ground. We were talking about Tyra and how God promised through prophecy, through Ezekiel the prophet, that it would come down. 100% accurate, the Bible says it has to be, if it comes from the Christian God. I want to talk about Daniel here, because this is just extraordinary that God would give us scriptures in Daniel 2 and talk about a kingdom's that would be falling down one after another. During this time, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And as he dreamed, as he dreamed, just dreamed, he couldn't remember what it was, but it agitated him so much that he was furious. And so he called all the magicians, all the magis, all the wisdom of his nation of, of uh, Babylon, which was the... Babylon was the greatest nation on earth at this point. And he calls them on. He says, tell me what my dream is. I want to know what my dream is. And they said, well, tell us what you dreamed and we'll interpret it. And he's going, no, if if you're musicians, if you're who you say you are, you should be able to tell me what the dream is because I don't know what the dream is. And if you can't do it, I'm taking the heads off of every magi, every magician, every man that's full of wisdom I'm taking off their heads. And uh, they knew they couldn't do it. But Daniel, Daniel who was in prison, heard about this. And here we take it up in second, uh, in Daniel chapter 2. And it says this, So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon." 
Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And he reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch whom the king had appointed to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And he went and said thus to them, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will take the king and tell him his interpretation. And this is awesome, guys, because as we're reading this in Daniel, he begins to talk about the interpretation that he had. And what the interpretation said was this, that in the dream there was a There was a huge statue, and on this statue you had a gold head, and you had his chest made of silver and his arms made of silver, and then you had his thighs and his waist of brass or bronze, and then you had his legs and calves and thighs made out of iron, and slowly from iron to iron and clay, and finally the feet were made of iron and a lot of clay. And as he saw this vision in the night, Daniel says, God gave him the interpretation to tell the king. And he says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, here is your dream that you were squirming about. The dream is this. The head is you, Nebuchadnezzar, and you are gold. You are superior. You are like a lion in Babylon, and you have eagle's wings, but they will be torn off, and a bear will come against you. And his chest of silver was the Media Persians. So after Babylonians, we are told before it even happens that Media Media Persia would come against uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon and totally demolish it and destroy it. And then as we see silver, we see we get into the brass, the thighs and the waist that is brass. Well, what it says here is that a leopard would come. And in the dream, there's a dream in Daniel 7 that talks about this leopard. And this leopard was Alexander the Great, the Grecian Empire, that Alexander the Great would come in like a leopard with four bird wings and four heads were given dominion over it. And he would fly as though nothing was touching the ground like a leopard. And what that meant is that Alexander would come in swiftly, take over the kingdoms of the world, and we saw this happen with Alexander the Great. As a matter of fact, what the Babylonians took to do to Tyrum 13 years, we know that Alexander the Great took over the whole world in 15 years. And then we see as that statue begins to go from gold to silver to bronze to iron, That iron was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire would come and demolish the Grecian Empire. And the five, and the feats with the five toes would be the five nations, the five people that were underneath Rome. And we would see that as we look at this statue, that though the head was powerful and full of gold, it's, and though it began to get swifter and swifter, 
The legs are now made up of iron and mud and clay, which means now it's weaker than ever, although it looks powerful and it's holding up all the nations, right? The statue, yet it's going to come tumbling down. And that one day the prophecy says that Jesus will come as Messiah and reign over all the nations as kings of kings and Lord of lords. And guess what, guys? We see these prophecies taking effect one after another as Babylon would be king over all the kingdoms. Media Persian came, knocked them out of the way. Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon never thought that anyone would devastate them, but they came through the gates underneath the water. Then we know that Alexander the Great, as a young man, became a great soldier. He went in there and took on Media Persia. And then we see that Rome finally conquered all the lands and became this great empire. And we see 100% that God had named these nations that would be involved foretelling the future. And now as Jesus would reign as kings of kings and lord of lords, I want to talk about a few of his scriptures about his prophecy. We have one that says to says this in, in Micah 5.2, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth to me to be a ruler in Israel. And his going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And then we read in Matthew 2 in the New Testament when this prophecy was fulfilled. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, magis from the east arrived in Jerusalem to look at this baby Jesus that was born in Bethlehem. And what we're going to see, guys, as these prophecies begin to get filled, that it was one man that had to fulfill hundreds of prophecies. And if we look at the odds of that, they're just they're just one to the 50th, one to the 60th power. I mean, the number is just outrageous for one man to have the world do these things on him, for him to live his life and to accomplish all these things. So no, it couldn't just be any person that would be the Messiah. It talks about his kingship. It tells us in Jeremiah 23 about his kingship, the Messiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Now, as we look at his kingship, we wondered about this because we know that the Holy Spirit caused Jesus to be born or conceived within the womb of Mary. We know Mary was the mother of Jesus, and she was a descendant of Aaron, which was the tribe of Levi. So she had that priest recognition on her bloodline. But where would this kingship come we know that that Joseph was the father of Jesus, not because he conceived Jesus, but him being by adoption. We read this in Luke 3, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed 
the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Simon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elikim, the son of Meliah, the son of Mina, the son of Matthiah, the son of Nathan, the son of David. And then we also read in Romans 1, 3, that Paul talks about this. And he says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power. If you don't think that God takes the adoptions of sons and daughters, me and you, into his kingdom, we need to see that this is where Jesus the Messiah gets his kingship. He gets it from um, the line of David, adopted Joseph being his father. And so we see this taking place. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. We see this taking place in Matthew 1. And I want to come to this last reference here. It talks about this Jesus in Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before my, before me, because he is on my right hand that I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, David said, for you will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you let your Holy One see corruption. We saw this fulfilled that everyone who is a son of God will not see corruption. And his Holy One conquered the grave as Jesus Christ rose from the grave. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thank you so much. This is Joe with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise.